Hello, and welcome to episode 14 of Network Collective. Today, we are continuing our series of deep dives into routing protocols, and we'll be focusing on the often misunderstood ISIS. It may not be used every day, but it's popping up more and more places, so it's probably a good idea to buckle up and get ready because we're about to dive in. Today, we have a couple guests you should be pretty familiar with by now if you've been watching us for any length of time. If not, we're going to give them an opportunity to introduce themselves. Russ, why don't you get us started? Sure. Russ White, Network Architect, LinkedIn, Routing Guy, do this, that, and the other. You can find me at rule11.tech. Awesome. Nick, how about you? Uh, Nick Russo, Network Engineer at Cisco, support uh, U.S. Army Tactical. Uh, you can find me at njrusmc.net. That has to be one of the coolest titles. Like, I, none of my titles are ever that cool. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, so uh, so today we're talking about ISIS, uh, and obviously the routing protocol, not the terrorist group that we've been fighting for a long time, right? So let's, um, which by the way is fun when you do a search sometimes, the random stuff you can get up. But anyway, so yeah, we're talking about ISIS today. <laughs> and ISIS is a, you know, is is similar in a lot of ways to OSPF, right? So we kind of use it as a comparative. If you haven't watched our OSPF show, you probably uh, should do that. It's kind of prerequisite for this because I think there's going to be a lot of comparisons. Um, but let's talk about what it does well and maybe some of the things that it doesn't. Uh, Nick, you want to get us started? Yeah, sure. So I, th I think, um, you know, comparing IS to IS to OSPF, I think is something we'll talk about a little bit later because there's a, you can kind of go either way with it. You can talk similarities, you can talk differences. And that's always a fun conversation. But just to briefly summarize things that IS to IS does well from the design perspective, typically, um, I, I guess you could really summarize it as not hub spoke, very similar to the OSPF design restriction or the, the general case where you wouldn't want to use OSPF. Um, there, are, there are knobs to control flooding in a full mesh environment. Uh, I would also argue that IS to IS is a good choice for leak spine uh, and probably superior to OSPF for a few reasons, which I think we'll probably dive into a little bit later. I know one. Uh, individual asked me on Twitter um, what my thoughts were on it. And I told him, you know, short answer, choose eyes to IS and wait two weeks and then watch the video on it. So hopefully that person uh, sees <laughs> this uh, and understands why. I like um, that answer. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah. Um, so, so I would say, you know, in general, in my relatively, you know, despite having good technical knowledge in IS to IS, or at least I think I do, um, I haven't deployed it a whole lot in real life. I know Russ has far more experience in a production environment than I do. But in some of the, um, the designs that I've done for other people, um, not necessarily deployed it or operated the network from a, from a network operations perspective, but some of the designs that I've done, um, I found some interesting uh, use cases for it. Again, things I think we'll talk about in detail later. But from a high level, I would say, um, if you're looking at general network designs to meet business needs, um, Look for places that aren't hub spoke like and places where you're able to um, apply some of the scaling principles to IS to IS. And um, that's probably a good a good segue into talking about how IS to IS flooding works, how the two tier hierarchy works, and, and maybe some of the comparisons with OSPF. Well, before before you even go there, one of the interesting things that's going on in IS to IS right now is, uh, and this relates to what it does well, is that a lot of customizing is going on into ISIS right now. Um, for instance, Rift is kind of based on ISIS, which is routing in fat trees, which is a Juniper uh, initiative for uh, spine and leaf fabrics, large scale, and then Open Fabric, which is a LinkedIn kind of initiative for it. And the reason that people go into ISIS is because it was originally designed as a TLV-based protocol. So it does type length um, value codes rather than fixed length uh, fields. 
And the history there is OSPF was designed for smaller processors and things like that. It was actually designed after ISIS. And they thought, you know, when we do OSPF, we're going to try to make it less onerous on the routing, on, on the wire and on the processors. So we're going to do these fixed link fields. As it turns out, that's, that's a terrific idea on the processor side. It's not so terrific for protocol uh, uh, extensibility. So ISIS is much more extensible than OSPF by and large. Now, there's some work going on in OSPF to TLV it. Uh, you know, right now in the ITF and there's some implementations, but from a ground level, if you sit and you look at what's going on in the, in the routing protocol field, a lot of people say, well, why do people use ISIS for these things? Why don't they use OSPF? It's primarily about how easy it is to modify the protocol. That's really what it comes down to most of the time. So that just kind of might explain some things that are going on in the world uh, for people out there who are kind of confused about it. So, I mean, I have a question about this, right? Because we we talk about BGP and we're going to be doing, I actually think our next set of shows uh, from a protocol perspective is going to be talking more deeply about BGP. Like five or 10 or 15 of them, right, George? I don't, I don't know if we're going to do that many. <laughs> I, I don't think we're going to fit it in one though. So, but, but one of the things I've heard you say, Ross, is that, you know, BGP can be a bit of a, a dumpster fire because of the fact that we just throw everything in it. Does do we have That's the same right. do we have the same risk with ISIS and TLVs or is it is it more controlled and structured? No, we actually do have the same risk with ISIS. Um, we have Trill, which started out pretty simple um, and actually was based on the original TLVs designed for intermediate for CLNS routing, which was the original OSI stuff or ISO stuff, depending on your the way you want to say it. But yeah, I mean, it, it does tend to end up being a dumpster in some cases. And in fact, part of what's going on in Rift and Open Fabric is ripping features out that don't need to be there any longer um, because it's just there's a lot of stuff that's accrued in ISIS over the years. So part of what's going on in the data center fabric space is to take stuff out. So yeah, it's the same sort of thing as BGP. I don't think it's as bad as BGP. We're not to the point of carrying random stuff. Uh, but, for no reason at all. But it's just a matter of pervasiveness. I mean, in my opinion, yes. right? Like it's just, you know, yes. BGP exists everywhere. Everyone runs it. Uh, it's, sometimes it's harder to find equipment that runs ISIS, at least historically. Yeah, so, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. No. Nick, you were about to head into something. What were you what were you wanting to say before we stopped you there? Yeah, I think I think Russ brought up a great point about kind of that core at a at a protocol and packet level structure difference about the fact that we have TLVs in one protocol that can be easily extended and, you know, fixed type fields or fixed length fields in the other. Um, and they have the kind of the unique uh, pros and cons. Um, I think there are a lot of people, you know, like when you first learn about OSPF and maybe you watch some video on demand, you uh, read an article. And I think oftentimes what it says is, hey, we're assuming you already know OSPF. So let's talk about how they're the same. And they talk about, well, areas are like levels and you kind of go through all that. And I think it would probably be a little bit boring to go into too much detail on that. But Long story short, when you when you look at OSPF and IS to IS on the surface, they, they appear very similar, and, and they are in many ways. Um, but I think Russ was the one, uh, this was, I was pretty far along uh, studying for the CCI service provider when he told me this, and I, I didn't, I knew it, but I didn't internalize it until he mentioned it, is that the two flooding domains in IS to IS and what makes them so special and different from the two-tier hierarchy of OSPF is that they can overlap. They're two independent things. And yes, at the borders, at the, at the places where the IS to IS level one and level two touch, there are some special things that can happen in terms of filtering, summarization, attach bit, other fancy cool stuff. Um, but fundamentally, even if you take all that away and you look at two independent vertically stacked uh, topologies, um, you can make for some really interesting designs in that case. And I know Russ has kind of a favorite uh, optimal, routing, uh, optimal routing design, quite frankly, that he likes to talk about when you have multiple 
uh, ingress and egress points are between flooding domains. So I'll let him, I won't steal that from him. But one thing I will bring up that I, that I thought, I, I won't say I invented it, but something that I, I thought of in a use case I thought was valuable for IS to IS is I think about a little bit off topic, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring it home and it's going to make sense is think about a very basic uh, MPLS traffic engineering case where you want to separate your high bandwidth uh, links from your low latency links, because maybe you want your high throughput data, you know, which is a specific class of, of traffic to take one set of links and you want your low latency data, like your voice or, you know, God forbid something ancient like TDM, pseudo wire replication, whatever, something that needs bounded delay to take the other ones. Um, with MPLS traffic engineering, that's pretty straightforward. There's a lot of different fancy tools to use. Um, now it's all the problem with an IGP. That gets kind of hard. Um, but with IS to IS, you have two topologies. You could enable level one, level two everywhere, assign different subnets to different levels, adjust metrics on a per level basis. And you could to some, you know, maybe not perfectly, but in some case, do some load sharing in the network based on the types. Now, of course, you're not matching DSCP. You're not doing any kind of policy-based routing, but if you have network level segmentation, maybe your applications are in different subnets and you're able to kind of partition them at that level, you can put them in level one, level two, utilize all the links in your network um, I'd be hesitant to call it a replacement for something like MPLS traffic engineering, but for a very kind of simple use case where you want to deploy the simplest possible solution to achieve that design goal, IS to IS can do that and other protocols, it, it's very difficult to achieve that. So, I mean, so, so I, uh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, so, so really the use case you're talking about, Nick, is really cool because really when you get into your head about high SIS levels work or flooding domains is that, uh, and, and by the way, we call them areas in OSPF. We call them flooding domains in ISIS. And although you can use areas in ISIS and people get confused about this a little bit, but I just tend to call them flooding domains just because it keeps things in my head separated a little bit better between the two protocols. Uh, but anyway, it, it's what's interesting about the ISIS flooding domains is, is that in reality, you can treat ISIS level two as a separate routing protocol almost running on top of the level one routing protocol has separate metrics has everything else there is uh it has different adjacencies a different database the thing is is that there is special redistribution stuff that happens between those two levels but it's really almost two different routing protocols of the same like two instances of the same routing protocol running on top of each other it's really pretty much that radical uh, as, a, as opposed to OSPF, where you get to an area zero to area one or area 51 or whatever border you want to call it. And it's actually, there's a dead stop. The, the database doesn't go any farther. That's it. it. It ends on this router and that's the end of it. So this is kind of the myth about ISIS splitting flooding domains on a, on a link instead of on a router. That's not really true. It really does. The flooding domain really does end on an intermediate system. But nonetheless, because you have this overlapping concept, you can actually overlap these different flooding domains and make it do different things that are kind of cool. It's kind of a design thing that you can play with from time to time. Let's talk about that a bit functionally. <clears throat> so when we, uh, you know, when we think about OSPF, the more familiar, right, we're assigning a, a specific interface to an area. So if we have an ABR, right, interface A goes into area zero, interface B goes into interface, or, uh, area one. Right. So you're saying these can overlap. So so what is the delineator in an IS network? Um, is it you said is is it is it the router itself? Is a router in yeah, it, a, in a level? Yes, it is. It is the intermediate system. It is actually the intermediate system that delineates the flooding domains, because what happens is is on the flooding domain boundary there is an intermediate system that has a level one and a level two database, 
And then that level two database is not transmitted beyond that, that boundary level. Uh, ISI is a little bit confusing about this. Most implementations build level one and level two databases in every intermediate system. They just don't send them any place unless there's a level two adjacency. So it actually stops at the level two adjacency or the level one adjacency out that interface. So you're not choosing interfaces, you're choosing adjacencies to send the, the flooding information to. Um, this is a history of ISIS, right? ISIS was designed for host routing, basically. That's what it was designed for. You, have a, you had ESIS, you had ISIS, and the end system would send its information to the intermediate system, and the intermediate system would literally host route within the flooding domain. So the flooding domain was kind of built a little bit differently than OSPF was from the, from the very beginning. You mentioned intermediate system. We keep using that word. <laughs> it means router. It's the main. Yeah, it's you know, yeah. It, so, so let's talk about that. It, I mean, there's a lot of confusion here, and I think I'm probably jumping ahead in the notes, but I think this is a good place to uh, to to talk about it. Right? Is uh, there seems to be a misunderstanding that ISIS runs CLNS or is required to have CLNS to make it run, um, and and that. You know, ISIS in and of itself is is a protocol that runs on a different set of. It doesn't run on TCP or IP or UDP. So let's talk about that. What what is it? What is an IS? What was the original intention for an IS versus an ES? Right? And 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 why why does this protocol exist? Where did it come from? I think a little bit of the history. We don't need to dive too far into it. Would be interesting. And I know oh, Russ. I at least Russ knows it. I'm sure Nick does as well. But. Well, I was going to let Nick answer that. And see oh, okay. Nick can <laughs> Go ahead, now, Nick. Nick's on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> okay. So, so, yeah. so my history with IS to IS is limited, but I think I can answer your question. So um, when we talk about ES, like an end system, like Russ said, you know, the initial, so I'm going to try to draw a parallel about something that I think most people will understand. I'm going to, I'm going to try to use rule 11, uh, Russ. So hopefully uh, this makes sense. So you think about, think about IP multicast. You have IGMP and you have PIM. Typically you use IGMP, Internet Group Management Protocol, so hosts and routers can communicate. Routers send out a query, hosts send out membership, uh, you know, membership request or a leave or, or some kind of other messaging to signal their desire for multicast or their desire to not get it. Um, between routers, we have PIM signaling. At least that's one way to do it today um, for IP. And those two protocols work together pretty tightly. A lot of the information is the same. We have SSM support in both. We have ASM support in both. You know, again, sadly, we have dense mode support in both, at least for IPv4. Things like that, even though they're, they're two different things, they support the same end state, but the communication paths are between hosts and routers and routers to routers as two different protocols. Now with IS to IS, you can kind of look at that similarly from ES to IS is the end station to or the, yeah, the uh, ES to the, the IS, which is the router. Um, so if you think about IS to IS, the router to router protocol, it fits kind of nicely in with that analogy. So I hope that kind of made sense. Um, yeah. But like Russ said, if, if, if host routing is the goal and the host is able to send you his service loopback, for example, whatever layer three protocol that might be, let's call it IP to keep it simple, um, then this would kind of uh, go, go into the environment where you think about in, in a modern data center or something, I know Cumulus has done some work in the space and I think Cisco has some solutions too about, um, you know, I can have IP, like a, basically a mobile IP solution where I'm gonna learn a bunch of host routes, they're not necessarily an IP subnet, I look at the ARP cache and I do like a, a redistribute ARP or something, um, something like that. But in this case, you'd be running routing down to the host in a sense. So. A lot of the new cool stuff that Cumulus, for example, has done with BGP routing to the host. The idea is old. The implementation with BGP in scaling data center fabrics is new, but the general idea of IS to IS was meant to solve the problem that, that Russ described. Yeah, so, so if you go way back in history, 
Um, ISIS was not designed to give interfaces addresses. I mean, this is this is um, the original idea was that that a device would have an address, not an interface. So the ad, so the address is tied to the device, no matter how many interfaces it has. So that's why it kind of you know, as Nick says, it's kind of like this host routing thing. If you just had a loopback, imagine if you just had a loopback on every device in IP, and you didn't have interface addresses. That's exactly what ISIS is. That's that's the way it was designed in the first place. So what's interesting about that is, is that in IS to IS, the, the entire concept of the leaf and the node is really separated in the tree. Or, yeah, the leaf and the, and the edges and the nodes are really well separated in your tree. Uh, whereas in OSPF, we tend to, just because the leaf and everything is all IP addresses, we tend to mix them all up in our heads. We tend to go, oh, that's an IP address, that's an IP address. So you get people all the time who say, well, this IP address is, you know, it doesn't really build a tree the same way. It actually does build a tree the same way as ISIS does, but it's just more, there's more clarity in ISIS the way that it, the addressing works. So it's just, you know, it's a little bit different for people when they look at it. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add a, a two comments on there. So the first is, with, you know, as a, just a basic fact. With OSPF version two within the router LSA, you typically, you were carrying both topology and reachability information for intra-area routes. Um, right. So when you when you shut down a loopback, you add a loopback within an area, you're gonna run, you're gonna have an SPF event. Uh, you know, ignore kludges like, you know, incremental SPF and other things like that. Let's just kind of ignore that for now. That's gonna be the effect. Uh, OSPF v3 kind of corrected that by introducing the type nine LSA, I believe it was, the intra-area prefix LSA. So it decoupled topology from reachability again, Good that OSPF did that, especially with a you know with OSPF v3 that can support multiple address families, and I think it was an overall improvement over OSPF version two. But again, IS to IS is you know 20 years ahead or, or however many years it was uh, in kind of uh, supporting that idea. The second point I'll bring up is kind of on your point about IS to IS not being IP. Uh, that's absolutely true. This is interesting for a few reasons. There are some inherent benefits to that. So, for example, how do you, as an, as an external person, let's say you're trying to come in through the internet edge and attack someone's IGP somehow, um, that becomes really hard with IS to IS. It doesn't even run IP. And the internet's not routing, you know, CLNS or anything like that. So it's harder. Um, with OSPF, that was, a, that was a threat, you know, but OSPF had to kind of counteract it with what is now TTL security. Um, so OSPF supports TTL security. IS to IS never had to because it was never a threat in the first place. So I think that over time, you know, we start to see that IS to IS, these problems were never, you know, a lot of the things that OSPF had to flexibly change, and I think it's done a good job of changing, they were never issues for IS to IS in the first place. Yeah. So, so Jordan, going back to your question about CLNS, though, IS to IS doesn't run on top of CLNS. IS to IS was natively designed to carry CLNS routing information. Um, but it doesn't run on top of I, uh, on top of CLNS. ISIS is a is parallel as a protocol is parallel to IP. It's its own ether type. It runs directly on top of every media, so it's actually its own layer two protocol. So when you look at an ISIS packet, it is linked local. It cannot be routed because there's nothing in the world that routes ISIS packets. I mean, they just they, you just can't route them. So it's effectively just a link local packet. It's like uh, like a link local multicast or broadcast inside of uh, IP or a link local only in IPv6. It just doesn't, there's just no place to route it because it's just a link local packet and it's either, it's own either type, it's its own protocol. So it's a little bit different from just understanding how the protocol works. It's a little bit different um, from OSPF in that sense. 
Right. And that's a, that's an interesting point only because that, you know, if you take that knowledge, that explains why there's no such thing as a virtual link or a sham link with IS to IS. Right. Because those have to be routed and you can't do that. That's, that's yeah. a good point. That's what right. I actually yeah. never thought about. That's that's how practical I am with IS. <laughs> I never, <laughs> never gave that any thought. Just, I'm, I'm in the same spot as Nick is, you know, labbed it up a few times, but I, I don't have deep level knowledge like I do some of the other ones. So, yeah. So we but could I, say that's a good thing because we don't like virtual links, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it promotes favorite. better design. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of this confusion around the fact of whether or not ISIS runs over CLNS or whatever, right, it's about the addressing, right? The host addressing looks different, so it's scary. We associate that addressing with a different protocol than what we're used to. And so there's just some assumptions made, right? Um, but I think there's there's an inherent advantage sometimes with the addressing being different than what you see with a traditional IP address. Because when you look at a topology table in OSPF, you're seeing what look like IPv4 addresses, but the reality is the topology isn't related specifically to IPv4 addresses as a router IDs, and they could be anything, right? Yeah. So when you're running ISIS, your topology information is represented in an address format that's completely different from what you're typically going to be routing, which is going to be an IPv4 or an IPv6 address or whatever it is that you're choosing to route. And so I think it actually does, you know, when you're looking at an ISIS table, it's a bit clearer, right? This is topology information. So when I look yeah. at these LSAs, these are topology. And then here's the IP addresses. And, and I just, you know, a little practical distinction. I don't know that it really matters all that much, but I think from a day-to-day -day perspective. But they're, but they're not LSAs, Jordan. They're LSPs. <sighs> you caught me. Yes, LSAs, LSPs. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's going to watch this show and go, Jordan's not an ISIS person. I'm he really, calls ISIS routers and he calls LSPs LSAs. I'm oh, really I glad I gave the disclaimer that I didn't, I don't know this. I'm right along with our listeners on this show in learning. <laughs> There's no doubt about it because it's just not my, uh, not my forte. I am not an expert. <laughs> there's, a, there's actually, there's actually a, a couple, well, at least one obvious um, design drawback, I think, to having your own uh, pro, your own protocol encapsulated directly at layer two. And I've actually, this is part of the reason in some environments in which I've worked, we've decided to not use IS to IS and that is dealing with QoS. So consider, uh, suppose you have um, a, a layer two VPN provided from a WAN provider um, and you just have an ethernet handoff and it's not, there's no kind of VLAN encapsulation on the link. You're just sending, un, un, you know, you have two routers with a layer two VPN untagged, just two gigabit interfaces plugged in and you run IS to IS on it. What's your QoS strategy? Can't use VLAN tags, can't use IP, there's no IP DSCP, right? How do you signal to the provider that this traffic is important? And the answer is that you generally can't. Now, if your provider has a PE that supports it, they can match the ether type, set the MPLS experimental bits, and that's all good, but that's a lot of work for them and it's unlikely they're gonna do it. So just things to keep in mind that if you're gonna use layer two VPNs and then put layer, you know, non-IP traffic across the link, you may wanna consider an advantage of Maybe we do want to get a VLAN multiplex layer two VPN so that a provider can map class of service to MPLS EXP, for example. Um, just, just again, maybe that's a little bit of a detailed example, but that was one of the big drivers in our environment or one network I worked on where we did not choose it because we couldn't guarantee that the IS to I, that we wouldn't have flaps when someone was downloading BitTorrent. Um, you know, yeah. similar it's similar for IP ARP. You know, suppose there's an ARP request that goes across that link. Same situation. You can't. What are you going to do? You're in the same kind of same kind of boat. Um, that's actually, a, 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 again, a little bit of a side topic, but that's an advantage of IPv6 neighbor discovery. It's still IP. You get DSCP, the PEs over a layer 2 VPN can give QoS to it, but for IPR, you yeah. can't. 
So just a couple minor details that when you have, you know, flaps on your IS to IS WAN over layer two VPN, carrier supporting carrier using layer two VPN, any kind of, uh, any kind of carrier type environment where maybe you're using IS to IS between your POPs over a transparent carrier. Um, but if that carrier is using a shared infrastructure like a VPN, you definitely want to consider the QoS impacts of not being able to uh, have that traffic be identified correctly. Yeah, that's why some implementations of things that run ISIS over the top actually run ISIS in Ethernet on top of MPLS inside of a GRE tunnel or something crazy like that in order to get the IP header on the outside so that you can do DSCP and stuff like that on top of it. Um, so you can write it all at the at the ISIS or at the intermediate system level. So, yeah, I think that's cool. Another kind of um, difference between ISIS and OSPF is the, the way that areas are built. Uh, you know, people go into this thing with OSPF where you have stubby, totally stubby, totally not so stubby, not so stubby, not so stubby on Tuesdays, totally not so stubby on Fridays. I don't know. <laughs> Make up your own. I don't know. <laughs> So with ISIS, there's just none of that exists. I mean, it's just one, it's just a flooding domain. There's just level two and there's level one, and that's pretty much it. And, you know, if you come to a level one, level two border, uh, you just set the attached bit in your level one LSP and in your, like, basically your router LSA and OSPF land, but it's it's the um, EBIT or the, uh, the, not the EBIT, but anyway, whatever. It's your um, attached bit in the ISIS LSP. And then you just flood it and everybody builds a local default route based on that. So there's the, it's almost like it's a totally not so stubby area by default and you have to work around it if you want something different than that. I think that's the right way to put it or a not so stubby area by default. Hmm. Which would you call it, Nick? I'd probably call it the totally not so stubby. Yeah. If you're getting the default and not the summaries or not the, not the inter level information by default, that's probably Yeah, that's that, right. But. Yeah, it's a totally. And then, but you can still redistribute information in the level one and it still gets pushed into level two. So it's, yeah, it's pretty much a totally not so stubby uh, area in OSPF by default. And if you want to do something different, you can leak routes, but that's like actually redistributing again, going back to the concept of having two protocols running on top of each other or two instances, of the same protocol, you're actually redistributing from level two into level one. And you've got to go do that manually for the routes you want to push into level one. So that's a little bit of a difference for people who work on OSPF most of the time. And, and the design use case for that would be traffic engineering. You know, maybe you've got yes. two, right. two level one, level two routers and you want, all your voice traffic to go one way and all your general traffic to go the other. Maybe you leak in some of your voice subnets from the, the preferred uh, egress point. And the advantage of that is if that preferred egress point fails, you still fall back to the default route. So you get availability uh, built in with that as well. Now, now, Russ, I've heard you made the statement, I'm putting you on the spot because I don't think it's even in our notes, that there's a, there's a difference between uh, OSPF and ISIS in the way that it does... Um, uh, multi-access Ethernet type segments, right? So you have uh, you have a DIS, right? Uh, DIS in ISIS. Um, so what, why don't you talk about how that operates a bit differently and, and why you might prefer ISIS more? Because I know that you've said that, so I want to know why. Oh, yes. Well, so the difference between a DIS and a DR is they're completely different things, actually, um, from a flooding perspective. Now, from a tree building perspective, they're the same thing. Um, they do, they convert what, so if you were to normally build over an Ethernet segment, an ISIS or an OSPF uh, database, you would end up with what looks like a full mesh database, no matter how big it is. So if you have 100 routers connected to a single uh, to a single Ethernet, that means it looks like a 100 router uh, full mesh network. It's kind of messy. 
uh, or meshy, you know, depending on your perspective. Sorry for the. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> you need the you need the blow up button there, yeah. Jordan, for those bad we're, jokes. We're gonna we're gonna but, turn into a drive time show here in a minute. So the sound effects, and, yeah. <laughs> All the sound effects. but um, but from a flooding perspective, they actually operate completely differently. The DR actually does reflood the information. So when you flood something onto a broadcast link in OSPF or a multi-access link of some kind, you're not flooding to everybody on the link. You're flooding to the all DRs address, which is a separate multicast address. Then only the DR and BDR pick that packet up, and then the DR refloods it. So there are some advantages and disadvantages to this. Um, the advantage is the DR knows everybody's synchronized, right? Because he's actually doing the flooding. And if the DR fails, then, then you have a BDR to back it up. Well, you don't even need that in ISIS, and I'll explain why in a second. But there's kind of this advantage that the DR actually knows what's going on on the link. He knows what everybody is connected and everybody has everything. And it kind of reduces flooding in some cases because if multiple people get copies of the same or multiple routers get copies of the same um, LSA, they all flood to the DR address and then the DR only refloods it back out once. Um, but then again, if you only have one flutter um, flooding to the all DR address, then you actually get two copies on the wire. So it's a little bit less efficient because you're actually carrying two copies on the wire, regardless of how many floods you actually get from the edge routers in the first place. The disk is completely different. In ISIS, you, everybody just floods whatever they get to everybody else on the wire. That's it. It's just done. Whatever you get, you flood. The only thing the disk does is it periodically sends a packet uh, which is a complete sequence number packet, and says, this is what my database looks like. This is a database descriptor in, ISO, in, in OSPF land. You have a database descriptor in OSPF. This is what ISIS is doing. It sends a descriptor of what it has in its database so that if anybody on the wire on that multi-access link has somehow missed or dropped or did not get some LSP, then it can send out a partial sequence number packet, a PSNP, and re-request somebody to send it back to them. So it's totally different because the, D the DIS in IS to IS is not even managing flooding. It's doing nothing except making sure everybody knows what's supposed to be on that wire. Uh, it doesn't do anything else. So you don't need a backup disk because if the disk falls over, then by the time you reelect, he just sends out another complete sequence number packet and everybody synchronizes again. So there's no need, there's no like period of time during which you can get a flood that nobody's going to get. Uh, it just is picked back up through the CSNP, PSNP process later on. I probably said all that really too fast and Nick is going to have to go back and repeat it all. So that people yeah, can understand. I, I think that was great. I think, I think what you said earlier, you, well, you, you summarized the DAS as like a goalkeeper. He's like the guy mm -hmm. with the roster. He's like, here's everyone I'm counting. Is, is there anyone I missed? He's like, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't know this guy was yeah. here. And that's basically how the conversation works. Now the, the, the CSMP interval is kind of the, the tuning knob on how often that happens. And I think it's like 10 seconds by default on most devices, but yeah. suppose you increase that number to something really large. If someone misses that LSP from someone, they're not going to know they missed it until the DIS kind of does his roll call occasionally. Um, and when that's the case, you're going to effectively not have routing. You're going to have a, you know, a lack of reachability between those two nodes that don't have that information. Yeah, so that's or a routing the, loop. Or worse. a routing loop. Yeah, worse. So in OSPF, yeah, that, that doesn't happen. That would never happen. You, you pay a price for more flooding to not have that case, where in IS to IS, you have more sparse communications, more of, a, I guess, a, a laissez-faire type attitude on the land. Um, in order to reduce the flooding, but also in potentially increase the possibility of um, 
a routing loop or, or a black hole. Now, over an Ethernet LAN, like a switch network in a campus, again, unlikely to happen. But again, couple this with my QoS conversation from before in an environment with congestion over a, a layer two VPN WAN, that it is yeah. possible that a CSMP could be lost. So would it, would it be safe to say that ISIS is a more likely protocol if you have very reliable links and you need to consider more carefully if you think you may have less reliable links? Is that a reasonable consideration? Um, in, in the broadcast in the broadcast case, that's correct. I think on the point-to-point -point case, it's not really much different. That's kind of my impression of looking at the flooding between the two. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. So, so the, at the top of the show, um, Nick had had mentioned that you know there's there's some different topologies where ISIS might might work well, maybe better than others. We kind of hit on the idea that you know not a not a hub spoke necessarily, uh, but you know better for a mesh or a ring or something along those lines. But specifically, you know, where does ISIS belong? Is it better in a WAN and a DC in the carrier? Like it doesn't belong in the enterprise, and if it does, where where might you consider it? Where can we use this? Well, I'll, I'll begin by saying that IS to IS in WAN can be a little bit difficult for some cases. Now, if you have a WAN that's a lot of dedicated links and point to point GRE type tunnels, it's not so bad. But um, IS to IS is not compatible with Cisco's DMVPN, and because it's not an IP protocol, it can't be directly encapsulated into things like IP and IP or IPsec. So you would need to have a GRE shim or something else in order to transport it. Um, so it makes it somewhat unwieldy in, in certain WAN environments uh, without any kind of special extension. Uh, I think it's pretty easy to make the argument for IS to IS and carrier environments. I'll paint an example again of, it's not particularly hard to do this with OSPF, but it's a couple more steps that don't exist for IS to IS. So um, there's a design in the carrier space. It's for very large uh, providers. It's called seamless MPLS or it's still called it unified MPLS. And the logic is I have all these different islands. So suppose you have this big core in the middle and then off that core, you have a bunch of kind of smaller, you know, aggregation bubbles, islands, if you will. And then off that, you have, you know, your edge nodes, maybe it's cell towers or, or whatever access networks. Um, assuming that's only a two tier topology, just to keep things simple for now. So maybe we have a core and an edge. Um, in the core, I can run L2. In the edge, I can run L1. I, it looks like OSPF because my flooding domains butt up against each other. But a very small configuration uh, configuration kind of optimization you can do is you can say, okay, I'm, I'm the level one, level two router. I've got my core links over here. got my edge ring over here. Um, but my loopback, my loopback is going to be my source for all my BGP sessions that I'm going to use to basically stitch together all these kind of MPLS islands. And again, I'm not going to get too much into the details of it. But why don't I just put my loopback in level one and level two? Now I don't need to get creative with redistribution. I don't have to worry about you know inter-level routing. I don't really care about the attach bit at this point. Um, so my loopback is natively in both levels at the same time. You really can't do that in OSPF. I mean, there's some RFC extensions that let you work magic like that. But in general, in OSPF, you'd have to pick what area do you put it in, and then make sure you leak that loopback into the other island. Um, and specifically, this this specific um, uh, unified MPLS design, you're not supposed to leak IGP routes between the islands. So oftentimes you might have two different uh, IGPs entirely, but like Russ, like Russ said a couple times earlier, IS to IS level one and level two almost feel like different IGPs. Um, they almost feel like different routing protocols. But in this case, if you, if you want to look at it like one, have level one and level two and the loop back at the level one, level two routers in both. And then you can just basically have a, what's effectively a deny any filter on it that says don't let any of the level one information in the level two, don't set the attach bit and you're generally done. 
Um, it's easier, I guess, to, to, to summarize everything I just said, it's easier in CMOS MPLS environments, perhaps a large scale carrier environment, rather than having to deploy multiple IS to IS processes, at least for a two tier scale environment, IS to IS is kind of a natural choice. It's a little bit less work, especially if you have a lot of level one, level two routers. Um, I think that would be a strong case in a carrier environment where um, a clear kind of clear cut case where IS to IS would be yeah. beneficial. So other places I think ISIS really works well is um, if you're doing V4 and V6 in the same network, uh, because OSPF to date still only carries V6 in one protocol and V4 in another. So you actually have to run two different versions of OSPF. I know there's work going on to fix that in both V4 and V6. And I don't know of implementations for, v, for carrying V4 routes in IP, um, OSPF V3. Um, do you know of any, Nick? Because I don't, I don't keep up with the implementation. Yeah, that's that's well. that's, uh, that's a few years old now, Russ. Um, but but to your point, um, it's still even though it's the same version of OSPF, it's still two different things. You know, two different yeah. graphs, two different SPFs. You know, in IS to IS, you know, for those familiar, you have multi topology, single topology, so you can have a similar behavior with IS to IS, but you can also merge them and say, I'm not going to run two different topologies for V4 and V6. I may lose yeah, some flexibility. Same. But if I run single topology, I only have to run SPF once, and I may I may be able to significantly increase my scale. So OSPF yeah. kind of gives you that knob where you can determine: Do I care about flexibility or do I care about scale? With OSPF, you, right. you only get you don't even get the choice. Yeah. So and for scale, when you say scale, um, I think it's interesting to talk about this because a lot of people seem to think that link state protocols don't scale very well in terms of just straight scale. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's been maybe six or seven years. And uh, when I was on the escalation team, or maybe even 10 years, I know that I saw some large providers um, running five, 6,000 routers in a single ISIS flooding domain. Uh, so I don't think that's impossible with either link state protocol. I think it's just a matter of uh, how you design the network, how stable your links are, things like that. Uh, scale is typically five, six, 7,000 routers. It's just not anything that's a huge deal. In fact, I was just saying before the show started that. <clears throat> the latest version of IS to IS in free range routing, which is open source, uh, which everybody derives open source for being kind of these, you know, down, down run or downgrade uh, implementations of the routing protocols is carrying, uh, is able to, uh, to test out with five or 6,000, maybe 7,000 intermediate systems or nodes in the network and 40,000 routes. And it's converging in 30 to 40 seconds. So, I mean, it's really not an unreasonable number for that kind of a scale in a single flooding domain. So I think scale-wise, people get scared of link state from a scale-wise perspective. But you start looking at the way to do mesh groups and stuff like this, you can really scale this stuff out pretty well, I think, uh, in a link state protocol. Yeah, and, and on the topic of scale for IS to IS, um, again, this I think I'll answer that, that uh, guy's question on Twitter now. Um, so I'm, hopefully he's still listening. He didn't, didn't, didn't tune <laughs> I li- us out. I, li- I like how you waited towards the end because you're going to yeah, make him watch it. the whole show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're going to watch so, all of it, buddy. Yeah. So, so within, within a leaf spine, you know, and I know uh, Russ can talk about all the various, you know, all the variations of leaf spine, the butterfly and all these cool, you know, modifications to basically take the, take the fabric and, and scale it and do different things with it. Um, but if you take that general design and, you know, let's, let's keep it at the simplest level to run a flat IS to IS level two everywhere. Um, we could do flat OSPF area zero everywhere and let's magically assume that the performance at that point was identical. Now with OSPF, you're really not gonna improve much. Like if you're at that point, you do OSPF everywhere and walk away, you get performance X. You do IS to IS level two everywhere, walk away, you get performance X. But with IS to IS, the additional optimization, I think we might've talked about a little bit is the overload bit, the OL bit. It's, it's almost identical in its design logic to how the EDGRP stub works or, or like a BGP a filter list that says, don't use me as a transit node. 
or RIP sending um, you know, a prefix list that filters outbound. OSPF is one of the only protocols that doesn't have a strict mechanism for not being a stub node. Now there is a, you know, at least in Cisco, the command is max metric router LSA, and I'm sure other vendors have similar, it's called like the stub router feature. It's just a hint, it's a suggestion. It's like, I'm gonna take all my local link costs, I'm gonna raise them to the maximum and flood it out so that nobody in the network wants to use me. Uh, for those who've ever deployed legacy spanning trees, Cisco came up with uplink fast. It's just like that. I'm going to raise my root bridge cost. I'm going to increase my link cost to 3000. So people don't want to use me. That doesn't mean I can't be the root. I, I will at some point, if everything else goes away, I'll become the root. So similar with LSPF, people will still use you as a transit link. Um, but even worse, that node, that, that spoke node is still going to flood. When he receives traffic from spine one, he's going to flood it from to spine two through 10,000 or whatever. That's still going to happen. The nice thing about IS to IS is when you turn on the overload bit, flooding is, is contained, the graph is contained. So when I'm trying to, you know, working through the vertices in the graph, and I'm saying I'm gonna add nodes to the tentative list and I'm gonna finish best path, put them in the path list and all that fun stuff. That doesn't even happen. The node is not even considered as, as a tentative best path. It doesn't even get added. So you reduce the scope of the SPF runs. Again, like Russ said, Straight scale is not as much of a concern these days, but suppose you had 100,000 or 200,000 routers in an enormous fabric. Um, and I know Russ can talk, you know, with some experience. And I, me, I've never worked on a network like that, but Russ and I have talked about real life environments where such networks exist or could exist using IS to IS in a flat flooding domain. Having uh, overload bit on every single top of rack switch in the, across this huge fabric would be an enormous advantage that OSPF would not have. So something like that, something as simple yeah. as that. It's not, it's not just, I don't want to do transit routing. It's not just routing. Um, it's don't include me in the graph, reduce the flooding, and overall reduce the time taken to converge and the amount of bandwidth required for flooding and all those other things. So I would say that in the data center, if you're comparing the two link state protocols, IS to IS is probably the better choice for most environments. So there you go. Well, I just have to fix one thing here, Nick, because <laughs> you actually don't, you don't you don't actually reduce flooding with OL. All you do is just reduce it out of the tree. But nonetheless, it is it is a lot better than running max metric and OSPF. So yeah, there is work going on to reduce the flooding as well. Uh, let's see, Open Fabric and Rift both work on this area, and there's some extensions from uh, from Cisco in work as well to reduce some other types of things with reducing the flooding. So there are lots of things going on in this space right now. Yeah, um, I'll, have to, I'll have to increase my uh, my Wireshark skills. I think I missed that. Oh, did you? No, no, it, <laughs> should, it, should, it. it should be flooding. Okay. I don't know. Maybe we need I to probably, look at your I, Wireshark. Yeah, I, oh, it's probably me. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> it, it should be flooding. I don't know. But yeah, so I don't, maybe I don't know how you didn't know that. That's just unbelievable. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, from a no, I mean, maybe, maybe Cisco's... Yeah. Maybe Cisco's done something I don't know about too. But I don't know. Anyway, yeah, so... Um, yeah, so there's a lot of stuff going on in the future of ISI stuff that's down here on the bottom at six. You know, I'm looking at the show notes and I'm being, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what we're supposed to talk about. Is there something else we want to talk about? Yvonne has been very quiet. You know, it's better to be quiet and thought a fool than open your mouth and remove all <laughs> doubt. That's been my uh, my philosophy this show. I'm, I'm getting kind of worried about you there, Yvonne. No, you know, I'm, I'm here. No, okay. I'm. I'm Soaking it up. Okay. All right. 
So future stuff, there's a lot of cool future stuff going on. Of course, there's still trail work going on, um, which is kind of dead and gone, but there's still work going on in the trail working group uh, around doing yet more extensions to ISIS for that type of stuff. There's also, like I said before, there's Open Fabric, which is kind of a cool thing coming out of LinkedIn, and, and Cisco's working with LinkedIn on that. Um, some in some various areas, we're kind of coordinating drafts and stuff like that to do some large scale fabric stuff in a simple way, which is mostly around flooding and around figuring out where on the fabric a particular device, a particular intermediate system is sitting. Uh, so there's actually a lot of work going on in that area. There's Rift, which is coming out of Juniper, Tony P. And uh, I can't pronounce his last name. I'm not even going to try. It's Tony P. Tony no, P. it's just Tony P. You know, you ask him how to pronounce his name and he says impossible, just use P. So uh, <laughs> we'll stick with Tony P. Uh, Rift is, is um, routing in fat trees. That's going on. There's a lot of stuff around segment routing going on in ISIS right now, being able to carry the segment routing stacks in ISIS uh, so that you can do your calculation and carry the segment routing, uh, the, the header stacks for V6 and for MPLS. There's a few other things. Of course, there's always the fast reroute stuff going on and the MRT and things like that that are always going on in the link state protocols to stop microloops, which interestingly enough, Nick, you saw my post on that, right? Or my, or my uh, video on, on uh, routing loops on microloops and remote LFAs, right? Did you, did you watch that video? Yeah, I think I saw that one. So I can, I can speak pretty intelligently about how LFAs and remote LFAs work as it relates to, you know, remote LFAs as it relates to MPLS encapsulation with LDP targeted sessions. Like that, that very specific way of preventing uh, or of, of achieving fast reroute or preventing micro loops and things like that yeah. with IS to IS, I know that well, but things like maximally redundant trees and not via, I know Russ has done some research on, uh, you know, pretty, I would call them completely different ways of approaching yeah, that problem and different it, yeah. solutions yeah yeah but i think i think the big thing to remember with isis is that the ip addresses in that you're carrying in isis they are literally leaves on the tree they're just not native to isis they're just not they're just like things hanging off the tree and it's really true in ospf as well but you don't think about it as much in ospf so if you have two isis back to back there's a link between those two, when you advertise your connectivity from one to the other, you're implying the link is there. This is something that confuses people a lot too. They think you're actually advertising the link. You're not. You're advertising a connection between two nodes. You're implying a link exists because the two nodes are connected to each other. Um, so anyway, you don't actually advertise the links. A lot of people say, well, it's a link state protocol. I'm advertising links. I'm really advertising my neighbors and I'm, apply I'm implying there's a link that between those neighbors because there's I'm connected to them right so there's got to be a link and then I'm actually hanging IP addresses off of those off of the routers they're not hanging off the links they're hanging off of the routers of the intermediate systems so there's a little bit different way of looking at it that you need to look at it and understand and this is true with ISIS and OSPF I think it helps understand how the protocol works a lot better when you think about it in those terms sure I think with that I think we're uh we're coming up on our time here so uh, I really appreciate having smart guys like you around to uh, <laughs> to dive into these topics. So I know uh, you're talking. I know you're talking to Nick. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I am talking to Nick, but yes, you. No, you're talking to Nick. Out there. <laughs> so, uh, so thanks, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, if you've watched through this, I'm impressed. Uh, this is these have been super geeky, and yet we get awesome responses on all these protocol shows. So, 
Uh, if you if you watched or listened, uh, thanks for doing that. So that's pretty cool. Uh, if you're looking for more geeky networking content, you can find us at uh, thenetworkcollective.com. Uh, we are in the process of moving from YouTube to Vimeo, so you can find us on vimeo.com slash network collective. Before we leave, I want to give Yvonne an opportunity to say where you, sh- you can find her. Yvonne? Yes, the uncharacteristically quiet Yvonne. You can find me at on the blog at esharp.net or on Twitter at Sharp Network. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you're looking to uh, to chat with me, you can find me on Twitter at bcjordo. And uh, my blog is jordanmartin.net. So uh, thanks again for watching and uh, we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.